loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I welcome Larry Patton. Larry's a retired United Methodist pastor. He's served rural and suburban churches, been a campus minister and hospice chaplain, and currently works in grief support for a Fresno, California hospice. He maintains the websites LarryPatton.com and HospiceMatters.com. His writing has appeared in The Christian Century and Spirituality and Health, among other publications. His book, A Companion for the Hospice Journey, Thoughts on Life's Tough Decisions, was released April 2019. As a pastor, chaplain, and now involved with grief support, he understands the ignorance about and often fear of hospice care. Through his writing, Larry hopes to provide information to help people understand their choices when facing the end of life. At a personal level, Larry's father had dementia for years, dying a slow, difficult death. A little over a year later, his mother's death came in a handful of weeks after an unexpected cancer diagnosis. Aren't they all? Huh? Dying, death, and grieving impact everyone. Welcome, Larry. And thank you. It's good to be here. Good to have you. Um, I enjoyed your book. I found it very valuable, and especially because of the tone of it, which was um, decidedly not a heavy tone, um, which, and, of and, course... Yeah, and that was very <laughs> intentional. I, I, I really, uh, I suppose it's a reflection of my, uh, 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 my personality also, but I, I certainly had the goal of uh, trying to make a subject that no one wants to talk about uh, at least somewhat readable. Also, there are just practical things like short chapters, large print, uh, a a smaller format. And I know that having lived through that moment uh, where you're facing end of life with lots of people, close people and professionally, uh, you can't take in too much at a time. So I find that's helpful as well. Yeah. So well, I, in fact, in one of the early discussions with with the person who did the editing, we went back and forth very quickly, actually, but deciding we wanted the font to be larger, you know, than in a sense probably uh, other books because it is something where I envision at least some people grabbing this book and they're not going to read all of it. They're going to read one part that is relevant to them. And they're not going to be exactly in the best frame of mind or heart to Probably read much. Probably not. And, and so anything that makes it that much easier is a good thing. Well, and of course, uh, I guess I would qualify myself as an maybe an overly informed person on these things. Um, not the least of which my first wife was in hospice for years, actually. Yeah. Uh, but... Still, you can get to moments like that and just not be able to grab onto it, need reminders, uh, just because it's such a, uh, it's an emotional, not a, not a cognitive place to be. Yeah. 
Yeah, and one of the one of the things we have, uh, in fact, we had at, at the hospice where I'm currently working, we had a, a little um, uh, sort of uh, group come in to uh, to give us uh, some feedback, kind of a focus group. One of the things that that they, uh, not all of them, but I think of the dozen or so people that were there, nine or ten of them could not even remember that there was a call that came in from the hospice a few days after the death. And that's one of the things that, that we always do. You know, sometimes it's leaving a message, but a lot of times you, you do end up talking with the folks. But we were reminded in that folks group that regardless of what you do sometimes, there's just some information because, it, it, you know, during the time of dying, certainly at the time of death and, and right afterwards, it's just hard to process much information at all. Well, I think of it for myself anyway as being in an altered state of consciousness. And so yeah. memory doesn't doesn't work quite the same as usual. So right. um, all that being said, I guess I would say uh, the book is going to be especially useful to people who hear those words that, as far as I'm concerned, nobody should ever hear. We can't do anything for you or any more for you. I think that's just a terrible way to say it. But that aside, many people still hear that. And and we're going to refer you to hospice, which, of course, is not a recommendation for hospice. We can't do anything. Here's hospice. <laughs> but right. that being said, um, many people have never even considered hospice. So were you especially... Uh, uh, thinking of people in that category when you decided to write yeah, the book? I had, when I was writing it and putting things together, uh, I, I had two different sort of readers in mind. One reader, and, and there's a lot of little subcategories to this, but one reader was, was that person who really doesn't know anything about hospice or uh, knows enough so that they they never want to know anything about it type thing, that they're afraid of it, they're leery of it. Um, and so they, you know, uh, just don't have much information at all. And the, the second reader, I, I really hope that there would be some folks that would be, uh, in a sense, uh, healthcare professionals. Um, and, and often a lot of those folks, I mean, people when they are, in their doctor's offices, when they're when they're doing certain kinds of hospital visits, when they're, you know, maybe doing cancer treatments, you know, all the various ways we have contact with healthcare professionals prior to the time of of maybe having to make a decision about hospice. But I wanted those professionals, if they ever hear about this book, to have a resource where they could say to someone, "Why don't you read this book? You know, why don't you read that section on on." Uh, that, that deals with people who are just, you know, very reluctant to hear about hospice. So I, I, I'm, I'm very, you know, my, my hope is that the, especially that first reader, that person that doesn't know much, if they can get a hold of this book, they will be able to have a sense of perspective either for themselves or someone they love uh, mm, yes. as, they, uh, as they explore what, what hospice is. You know, I, I'd add a group, which is, I'm, I'm a, a psychotherapist, mental health uh, counselor, and I, I'm amazed how many times other 
therapists say to me, I don't work with illness and I don't work with death and I don't work with grief. And what I'm thinking in my head always at that point is, well, just wait, wait a while. <laughs> because, yeah. And I've had many clients come to me uh, after therapists they've had for a really long time completely fail them because they're uninformed. You know, yes. they have a and, diagnosis and in- or something happens, of course, yeah. because it's life. And then the person that's that's they've got a relationship with, they've worked for a long time with, uh, there's trust established, but they just can't uh, can't help in this area. And I think a lot of that comes to down to information. So I could imagine it being useful for therapists to read so they really get it what when someone comes in and says, oh, my God, they've they've recommended hospice, it would be really helpful to know what that is, you know, and why it's yeah. being recommended and all the rest. Yes, yes, I, you know, I would hope so. And I, I think there is, I mean, I am not by counselor, by training a counselor, I, I certainly have some very generalist uh, things in my background because of, of my experience as a pastor one of the things I was always aware of when I was serving churches were my limits, and I, I with with a certain amount of folk that I that I saw, I would always encourage them to see some people who I trusted that 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 knew things much more than me. Within that is that the the notion of grief counseling. There are many counselors who who do not have that expertise, and certainly any good hospice uh, is if they do not have various grief counselors, they will always have access to, you know, being able to recommend it because there's a lot of things that go on with grieving uh, in terms of what someone who might be seeking counseling, um, you know, would want to be aware of in a, in a, in a you know, a, a good grief counselor has, has that awareness of what are some of the very distinctive things about, about grief support. Sure, of course, and I would never argue with you there. Um, but, I, but I do also think that um, even if you have to pass someone on, it's great to know enough to pass them on oh, lovingly and, and with, yes. you know, great care. Um, relevant exactly. to what we're talking about, there's a little part of your book that maybe you could share about why you write, wrote the book. I think it captures a lot of what we're talking about here, uh, in ter- especially in terms of people that, that don't, you know, pe- people in the patient category that might not have the information Sure, and I think this this little part is from very close to the uh, to the beginning. One of the, in a sense, kind of introductory chapters. I wrote this yes. book with a singular goal in mind. I want people, I want you, to better understand hospice. We want quality of life and a quantity of days, but then a doctor ruins the day. You are told, or a loved one is told, about an illness that will soon lead to death. There, I said the word, death, not past, not lost, not gone, death. Well, I view hospice care as the best path for living and dying, it is a word and a health care choice, frequently ignored because too many of us have never discussed death. Why? Why? 
Well, because we have superstitions. If you mention death aloud, death will come. Are selectively polite. I don't want to upset my loved one, so I'll be quiet. Choose denial. Who's going to grow old or sick anyway? Stay young. Are afraid. Dying and death just scares the blank out of us. Believe in magic. At some future time, forced into decisions about dying, we'll say and do the right things, like a rabbit pulled from a hat. Please, risk talking. Please, ask questions. Please, express your fears and hopes. I want, I want to kind of say amen. Uh, when my parents were dying, they're, they're both dead now, uh, and they've died in extremely different ways. Um, but this was after, you know, 10 years of illness with my wife and everything I learned in that time and everything, everything that got informed by living through that, including a lot of info about end of life and hospice and everything. And uh, my brother was responding so, so differently than I was. And I failed to put it together for the first couple of days. Uh, what was going on? You know, he's running out of the room. He was, <laughs> you know, he was a mess. And uh, my dad, uh, I, I just couldn't quite figure it out. And then I realized, oh, he doesn't have experience. And he's never thought about this stuff. And it was really as simple as that. Um, so I'm with you entirely that a little bit, even a little bit of information when you're not in the throes of the moment goes a long way. Yeah, I, I think so. And one of, one of the things I try to, uh, sort of push a little bit, uh, in, in some of the sections of the book is that some of the most important questions you would ask as it relates to hospice care are questions I think we should always be asking. And we sometimes forget about those kinds of things also. I mean, just the whole point of, and and you see this a lot, even in hospice advertising. I mean, it was in the little excerpt that I read, it was there in the sense that that hospice is is about the quality of days. But that's a question you really, I think, should be asking yourself continuously through life. I mean, as, uh, as someone anticipates marriage, as someone anticipates, you know, a, a new career path, as, as you think about having children, as you're faced with, you know, having to make a choice maybe that is, that is a very difficult choice. Maybe it's between careers or, or maybe, you know, you, you are, you know, being forced to, you know, potentially move and you're not comfortable with that. If the background question to some of those issues is, well, what is the quality of life? Who do I want to spend time with? What are the important things I want to be able to say? Those are all hospice questions, but they're also questions that have to do with literally every significant part of our life. And I, I obviously we're more comfortable talking about it when the whole focus is living but there is a real clear bridge between the time of living and dying in terms of the relevance of those questions. Well, you know, I'm not even sure uh, uh, what, what I've 
found, and of course I had the benefit of 10 years of illness, and those questions got more and more vivid over those times. I'm not sure people often, uh, and I find this, you know, in my therapy work as well, people don't ask those questions. They're kind of running on automatic uh, often, even when no diagnosis is, is involved and not really thinking about what they want what we want our lives to be, how we how we want to navigate life and what really matters to us. Um, but of course, yeah. if you if you have a sudden illness and you have have five minutes to figure that out, <laughs> it's a real pressure cooker, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And and you know, and sometimes it is kind of more the ideal world. In the ideal world, if you have had at least some of those conversations with folks, even in a, in a very generalized way, then those pressure cooker decisions can be helped. But what you described, I think, happens in a lot of families. I mean, there you are, you know, maybe trying to talk with your parents, and your brother is avoiding things, literally. I mean, not just, sure. <laughs> just being quiet, but sometimes literally leaving the room or being elsewhere and, and what have you. And, and I, I have seen that uh, in, the, in the various churches I served and also in the times where I have worked directly with folks who are in hospice. I mean, I, you know, Larry, it's time for a break. And I want and I don't want to shorten that because this idea of how we deal with situations like that, how you even get a person to the place where they might read a book like yours or might be willing to have a conversation. I think that's too important to go fast with. So listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Also, there's a link to my novel An Ocean Between Them there. And to find Larry Patton, you can go to Larry Patton. It's P-A-T-T-E-N.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Larry Patton about his book, A Companion for the Hospice Journey, and uh, as well as just conversations about end of life and how people relate to that. And before the, the break, Larry, we were just beginning a discussion about, you know, the, the difficulty in, in 
um, I guess, facilitating or encouraging um, these tough conversations that that often hit unprepared people in in the most intensive moments. Uh, and I wondered from your experience in hospice and uh, you know, as a pastor as well, because I know I know pastors are called upon quite a bit in those moments too. Um, what can you say about how to, uh, for instance, if you're a member of a family who wants to have those those um, conversations and other people are running out of the room, how do you think that can be um, navigated? Um. When I was thinking about this, one of the things I, uh, one of the truly wonderful folks in the in sort of the realm of hospice is a physician by the name of Ira Biok, and he's he's written a number of books also, and I, I recommend uh, anything that uh, Ira Biok uh, writes or says or whatever. But and and one of one of his books, the the four things that matter the most, uh, there is a little section there that indicates, in a, in a sense, paraphrasing it that family and dysfunction are kind of redundant terms. Um, <laughs> all families are dysfunctional. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of the degree of, of dysfunction that is probably there. But I think when you're trying to have some type of a, of, of a discussion, a conversation uh, that, that at least has some level of common ground, even in families where uh, you kind of know going into it that there's going to be some tension, some disagreements, I think one thing I would always recommend is is being upfront, you know, and 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 if if there is someone or someone's uh, in the family, I mean, like if if the parents, you know, want their their adult kids to get together, knowing they're all going to come in with different perspectives. You know, both in you know, and the parents maybe want to share that difficult news that one of them has uh, a serious illness, and that serious illness is leading to uh, six months or less to live, which is the, the you know one of the phrases used about uh, what what illnesses are like within uh, hospice care. Um, but to say we're going to have some type of a family meeting and we just want to share some things and. Um, Regardless of what you plan, it won't go as you would like, but if people can be there together and some at least some basic things can be shared, uh, that can be helpful. If, uh, if there's arguments or if there's people just totally shutting down or literally you know, maybe walking out of the room, at the very least see it as the start of a conversation and continue to be somewhat persistent. These days... There's so many different ways that we are able to communicate. Often we can't communicate with any of them very effectively, whether it's you know, face-to-face, whether it's um, uh, texting, whether it's Facebook personal messaging, uh, whether it's Skyping. But I think when a family also or, you know, uh, is, is trying to convey at least some things, it may very well be that you have to continue doing it and using some different ways for different folks. Um, you won't be all, all successful, but if you, if you know that you're, you know, wanting to at least share some things, um, and one of the things I say to folks about, about hospice, because I think that some people, when they hear that, they immediately say, 
we this is about giving up. Once you go into hospice, that's it. I think in some family settings, if if there is somebody that thinks they're always going to be able to find online or with the next, you know, expert doctor, uh, some miracle cure. When somebody enters into hospice care, they can also exit from hospice care if they want to pursue a treatment that may lead to a cure. Um, And so you're not locked into it. And I think that's one of the things I would want people to talk about, especially when there's tensions, uh, is it's you you can enter into and then exit from hospice, hospice care and then return to it, you know, after, you know, if, if a treatment works, that's great, um, and it gives you another months or, or, or a year or two, and you won't be penalized for leaving, and you certainly won't be penalized for then maybe later on returning. Um, so you, you the other compe- that, uh, Go ahead. The other, the other compelling thing that often sways people in my experience is the actual uh, information that uh, statistically, um, people very frequently live longer. Uh, you know, if you if you uh, put together similar diagnoses, often people live longer in hospice than in treatment. Yes, and and the in a sense the quality of life is better. And and one of the other things I touch on in the book, which is always an important part of the conversation is palliative care, which is one of those big words. It comes out of the the French. But palliative care is where you are are having care that is not based on the fact that there's six months or less to live, but it is based on the fact that you are dealing with a very life-limiting illness. But you can have pain medication. You can have uh, uh, other things that are part of that. And so that kind of support also adds to the length of life. Um, but I Absolutely. think people get, you know, people sometimes get so focused on either the fear of death or thinking they can find the miracle um, that they don't have the conversations about those things, obviously hospice and then also palliative care, that, as you said, they truly often will literally add to the to the days and weeks and months of your life um the you know, reality I, is go ahead oh go ahead i i uh had a guest who who's done a huge uh her careers in hospice and her wife uh was diagnosed with a very lethal ovarian cancer and they've been actually talking about it on social media because she chose, quote, aggressive palliative care. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard that expression, but <laughs> I like it because it's so active. And I think a lot of people uh, consider palliative care or hospice care a sort of passive response, you know, yes. a giving up response. So the idea yes. that you can have aggressive palliative care as a treatment option, and it could be, you know, described when they're going down the list of treatment options, which would be limited anyway, uh, that that's one of them. Here's what we can do for you. We can do this, this, or aggressive palliative care. I kind of like it. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I mean, there, there is no doubt that how we phrase things um, is crucial. And, I mean, I think that's a, a very good way of looking at it. I mean, it's the, 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 you know, I would guess that part of what it means to, to deal with aggressive palliative care is knowing you're going to be using probably various medications and also other things. I mean, whether it is, you know, working with some lifestyle choices, changes, uh, but you're being very, very intentional with, with doing some things because you really want to embrace life. Um, uh, absolutely. I, I, my impression just from reading their posts is they're, they're focused on the relationships within their family, spending just aggressive amounts of time together. Uh, she's yeah. using everything that might reduce physical discomfort, including, you know, CBD and everything else. Um, I'm sure acupuncture and, you know, all of that sort of thing. Um, it could well describe what my wife did, too. She just pulled out all the stops on everything that she could do to be to have herself for as long as possible, I guess is how I'd put yeah. it. Yep. But but you also talk and it sounds as if this is very personal for you. You also talk in the book about these uh you know, people are always afraid that hospice will make you die faster, they'll give you too much drug or, you know, whatever it is. Uh but the fact is sometimes death doesn't come when expected. And um I know I know you um one of your parents had a very lingering type of death. Um, yes. But I thought you had something to say about that experience of, of the not dying, and I wondered if you'd share that part of the book. Sure, and let me, let me preface it before I start reading this, this section by, by saying that some of the, the chapters in my book were first, in at least some version, posted uh, on my webpage, uh, Hospice Matters. And the the one that dealt with lingering death uh, has has far and away gotten the most responses. I think I first posted a version of it probably four or five years ago, and I still keep getting responses to it. And, and some of them are just so anguished. But it this turned into uh, one of the chapters in this chapter, and I'll just read the beginning of the chapter. But the chapter is entitled. Why is my loved one still alive? The wife hated herself for asking the worst of questions. And yet how could she not, after so many months of him lingering, why hasn't he died yet? As a minister that works in hospice, I have heard other questions equally anguished. The doctor said she had died days ago. She didn't. Mom is ready for heaven. Why is she still here and still here? I love my brother, but hate that his suffering continues. The continuing continues. Hundreds of versions of the statements above are muttered or shouted by the thousands of lovers, friends, family members, and caregivers that sit vigil with a dying loved one. And sit vigil may seem too polite a phrase for those endlessly waiting for a long overdue death, pacing a room, sleeplessness, exhaustion, 
short tempers, frayed nerves, and constantly postponing work and family obligations were never anticipated when a beloved's dying became an unwanted, unbidden part of your present and future. The person we love who we once wished would never die remains alive. Before we made every effort not to think about death, Death was too morbid. Death happened to someone else. Death was a game with colleagues wagering that if one celebrity died, then more high-profile deaths would soon happen. They always come in threes. Death was the rabbi or priest or imam or pastor's sermon about a long-ago saint or sinner. Death wasn't so bad in a movie with a soundtrack that accompanied tears while you munched popcorn. Death was cruel because of a car accident, random bullets, soul-numbing suicides. Horrible, but quick. But your loved one lingers. Why? 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 You know, I I just want to add to that, too, um, that it puts... Uh, I don't know if you've read uh, Sunita Puri's uh, book, The Eleventh Hour, that just came out this spring as well. But uh, she talks. She was doing home hospice and made the point in the book that a lot of people do not want to die at home because they can't, uh, and especially don't want their relatives to die at home because they can't afford it. Um, because. Uh, in case people don't know, hospice actually is not 24-hour care. Someone has to be there. Um, there's a right. huge financial implication of that. And so that would be compounded, I would think, when someone um, has a long, long, long death yeah. uh, no, where they're is, very, there's, very dependent there's, there's on no care. In, in, in some of the, I mean, the costs are at every level, and, and one of them is the you know money and 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 your your finances and certainly the the cost of what it means not to go to work uh not to have a community of people and and what have you i um i i remember sitting down with my mom at some point and and this was when dad had gone into a my father had gone into a care facility and um we were looking at finances and my dad with his dementia in his early 90s, was still a relatively strong person, strong heart, kind of a big guy. Right, constitutionally, um, huh? Yeah, and uh-huh. it, was, it was very intimidating for both me and my mom to sit there and say, okay, if dad lives three more years, five more years, ten more years, what will this do to their finances? And so that's one of the facets of the lingering death. Um, but it is, you know, and I think sometimes I think hospice has done it to itself because, you know, the thing that the, probably one of the very common things that many people will know about hospice, are it's six months or less to live. Well, um, when you start going past that six months, because you don't get shut off, you know, with with that because you are, a patient is always being reviewed, are, and one of the kind of questions that is asked is, are they appropriate? Well, those folks that have a death that occurs in a matter of days or weeks, 
they have their own anguished issues they may deal with. But boy, with that lingering death, um, when you go into the weeks and then the months and then beyond, um, you, you are right, Cheryl. I mean, part of it has to do with it's, it's very expensive, um, but it literally is costly uh, across, you know, everywhere. And I wish I had magic words to share with folks, uh, but I have w- reading just on my webpage some of those responses uh, over the last few years. It's really a, a very tough road uh, to uh, to walk, and it's it, there's n- none of it is is easy for folks. Yeah, and and it's um, I know from my personal experience, you know, with a, with someone who I I have to say uh, we had a lot of help, so that that mitigated somewhat the effects, but um, it was, it became impossible to believe that she would ever die because she Uh outlived so much prognostication that it it became, we were totally willing to face after, you know, 10 years, the fact that she would die. We talked about it all the time. You know, we were very awake to that fact, but, Right. She didn't do it for so long. It becomes uh, just a tad unreal, you yes. know, that it's that it's actually coming because you can't, of course, know when. You can just sort right. of say, well, it's closer than a year ago, <laughs> you know, probably. Right. <laughs> so I think right. there, it's, it's a, a kind of psychologically confusing as well. Yeah, and one of the, I'll tell you, one of the peculiar things that, that, will happen also is even with someone who has had a very lengthy time of dying, when they do die, sometimes some of the family or friends, their almost immediate reaction is, but it happens so quickly. And it's, it's like all these, we, we shift into so many different emotional states when, when we're dealing with these, these things because, you know, you could have talked to that person several days before and they would have said something like, this seems like it's going it's on forever. It's taking forever. <laughs> yeah. Right? But yeah. then when the death does come, even if there's this long history behind it, a lot of folks' reaction is, my gosh, it just suddenly happened. And so, I mean, the there's thing just, is, though, and, I, and I say that yeah. just because of there, there are so many ways that we react to death, and there's so many ways that it touches us deeply that I, I would always hope that people are careful with themselves and careful with each other. Um, but, of course, a lot of times what's going on also is, you know, we're, we're not in our, our, our best emotional state when we're dealing with these things, and that's why well, families can sure. get angry, etc. Sure, and just a word before the, our second break is that uh, the way I would explain that statement, it happened so quickly, if I were... Uh, Relating it to my experience is that the experience, the moment before someone stops breathing and mm-hmm. the moment after is so starkly different that yes. that's, yes. that moment seems very sudden. I'm sure you know yes. what I mean. Yes. <laughs> time, time for our second break now. And listeners, sure. you can find me at, at weatheringgrief.com or the Good Grief host page. And to find Larry, you can go to larrypatton.com back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to good grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Larry Patton talking about his book, A Companion for the Hospice Journey. Um, a very good compilation of um, just descriptive and and um, intelligent perspectives on hospice and what it offers and what it what it doesn't. Basically, uh, I particularly think your description of all the different roles of of uh, you know the. Every hospice has to have a chaplain, a social worker, a um, a doctor, a nurse, you know, the a volunteer. Right. But um, people don't always understand why there are so many and what they actually do. Uh, and and uh, it beca- it can become a jumble of people visiting you and bothering you uh, if you don't right. understand how they're there, what they're there to serve. Uh, so I thought that was very useful. But um, you mentioned during the break, it's important to emphasize what hospice does not do. Assuming it's not a an in-house hospice, there are sparingly a few of those where people actually move into a hospice uh, facility. But by and large, it's in people's homes. And uh, a big misunderstanding that I run across is... Uh, people that thought that they'd have someone with them 24-7 to do the heavy lifting of nursing care, basically, uh, which is not the case, yes? That is correct. And it's in the, in the 
most current uh, information of uh, especially those who are uh, with 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 Medicare uh, that are under under Medicare. It's it's just shy of fifty percent. I think it's like forty five or forty six percent of the folks that are in hospice care will be cared for in their own home, and it's somewhere around thirty five percent who will be in some type of a facility, and then it's gosh less than ten percent of uh, that would be uh, in a facility specifically owned by a hospice that is a kind of a hospice house or what have you. So um, close to 50% are going to be caring for uh, their loved one in their own home. Most people would say, I would prefer to die at home. Not everybody would say that, but it is typically in all the polls that are taken. The 70% majority. or so, I think, is the exactly. common figure. You know, the, but there's been various polls over the years. It tends to hit that figure of around 70%. But the, it will be the family and friends and perhaps hired caregivers that do all of the, the day-to-day-to-day care. What hospice represents is a support system, and so you will get a visit uh, from your nurse, typically one to two times a week. Um, the, the chaplains and social workers uh, would come in probably one to two times a month, uh, a home health aide who might help with bathing and what have you might be the one scheduled most in terms of maybe three times a week, maybe four times a week. Um, but all of those various folks that are that are doing these things, uh, they are a, a support system. And I think the stereotype um, or the myth uh, that that people have about uh, hospice is when I go into hospice care. All these people are going to descend on me, and they're going to take care of things 24-7. Hospice is 24-7 a phone call away and and support away, but it comes down to that circle of family and friends to provide the caregiving, which can be a powerful and wonderful thing. Um, uh, But it also can put immense stress on a family. an, an, another of the statistics to, to toss out is it's close to 30% of, of people who enter into hospice care that will die in hospice care in a week or less. That's a lot of people, and that means if the death occurs within seven or less days, everybody is constantly scrambling, and it becomes very, very intense. Um, right, but it's still with a lot of those, you know, situations. It comes down to the family and the, the circle of friends needing to create the the kind of literal hour by hour, day by day uh, kind of care for the person. Absolutely, and then uh, on another gear, uh, I've become extremely aware, uh, more and more aware of the of the um, misalignment often of um, nursing homes and hospice. So hospice would be brought into it. Uh, here's an example. I have a friend whose uh, whose mother just died. She was, believe it or not, 111. Um, wow. I think she. I think she's on the list of oldest people. <laughs> but in any case, the last several months were very hairy because 
she was definitely dying. She was going into that period where she was refusing food. The hospice was recommending allow that. Don't don't force feed her. But the nursing home, their training was uh, you you get everybody to eat right, and yes. so they would come in when no one was there. And then and and force yeah. her to eat. And then yep. when the family would come, they would be so proud of themselves. We got her to eat three bites or whatever. And it put the family in a tough position because they didn't want to say it felt like they'd be saying starve our mother. Right. Uh, there, and there wasn't any way to really coordinate that uh, better than it was. Um, so <laughs> if I'm ever going into a nursing home, I think I'll ask those questions. How do you feel about hospice? You know, because I had yeah, thought, oh, you, that, you, that's you are, just... You are pointing out uh, a, a very real um, dilemma, and that's that's a polite way of saying it because, I mean, we whether it is the, the person in the, the nursing care facility who uh, has just not listened carefully about what they're supposed to be doing or not doing with the patient, and they're very used to just feeding people because if you feed somebody, they get better. That also obviously happens just within a family that, that you, you sure. have that, that kind of perspective. And the reality for many people who are in the final days and hours of dying is they have no interest in food or water. And in fact, that can be a very adding uh, liquid in, in, in certain kinds of, of solid nourishment can almost be a negative thing for what the body is at that point the going through. The body's saying no. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But we are, you know, please bring on the chicken soup. You know, um, if we if we if we can only you know get you know mom or dad or grandpa or grandpa to eat just a little bit, then won't they get better? But it's so it's you know it's just really hard. It really and is. also but sometimes it's it, sometimes it's not even a fantasy of getting better. It could also be, uh, let's say, someone is your mother and they offered you nourishment by feeding you or love, you know, cookies when you got home or something, yep. you're naturally going to want to do that as a comfort to them, won't you? Oh, yeah. When my yeah. when I went with my mom to visit my dad, he, I mean, she always brought cookies. He always liked slices of fresh oranges. And even when he was no longer eating, one of her little preparations at the house before we would drive over to where he was is she would gather up the cookies, she would gather up the orange slices, and she would take them to him. And he could at least smell them. She, huh? Intellectually, <laughs> she knew that. Yeah, but it was so important to go through that little ritual, and and you know how could she not do it? Um, Absolutely. You know, so it's you know it's it's but but food is one of those. It it truly is one of the tough kind of things for people to to you know think about realize uh, as as they as they do deal with someone who is who is dying and again there's information both in your book and uh, on your other website that I only mentioned once which is hospice-matters.com yes is that correct yep so let's close yep, out with correct. you reading this last part about um, hospice is not about giving up because we just have about three minutes left. 
Sure. Would you mind sharing that before we go? Yeah, let me just, I, I've, I'll just, um, I, I have 13 things that people should know about hospice, and let's just do number one. Uh, and the, so the number one I had was hospice is not about giving up. When hospice is considered, many people, including doctors, declare a variation of there's nothing more we can do, no cures remain, no procedures will stop the disease's progression, no cutting-edge experimental drugs will make a difference. It's time to throw in the towel, cash in the chips, raise the white flag. Hey, wait. Hospice, with its six months or less to live, is designed to maximize time with family, to express and or receive love, forgiveness, and gratitude. Hospice care can include long chats about today and shared memories about yesterday. I do think too many wait too long to even consider hospice. Since hospice is a choice and allows people to be at home and engaged with the loved ones in their life, it is not about giving up. It is a choice to make the most of every precious day. Larry, I want to tell you that my, uh, when I think about the end of my own life, my constant prayer is that I will know when it's time to do what. <laughs> Timing is everything, isn't it? Yep. Uh, you know, just, just knowing when hospice is actually the right treatment for the current situation. Yeah, and sometimes um, you won't know, and that's where in, invite hospice in. The, you know, to have a, a hospice uh, nurse come in and do an evaluation, it's, you, do, you will not pay for anything. You will get their feedback, and maybe you'll be hospice appropriate, but maybe you won't, but you will get information. And then what I said earlier is also true. You can enter into hospice care and then maybe you discover something. In fact, we had one of our patients a few years back. I, I vividly remember this. They, they, uh, one of their cancer docs said, hey, there is this you know, tr- treatment that just arrived that I'd like to try. That rarely happens, but it did happen. They easily left hospice, and this person returned to hospice about six months later under hospice care. But they had some extended time that was, that was there, and so... Um, you know, I hope people don't get involved in any scams because we can be so easily seduced with thinking that miracle is always going to happen. No, but, but it is a fast, it's a fast changing field, especially when it comes to something like cancer, isn't it? Yeah. So yes, it uh, is. yeah. people wouldn't want to rule themselves out, but they don't have to. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I want to thank you and I hope people will go to your website uh, both LarryPatton.com and the more directly hospice-related hospice-matters.com and check out your, your work. And I'm I'm sure your book's going to become a guide. People can just throw that out to, to folks and have it all explained, and that'll be very helpful. So thanks well, for being thank with me. Thank you for your encouragement, and it's been great to talk with you, Cheryl. Great to talk with you, too. Next week, I'll have Walt Odets author of Out of the Shadows, Reimagining Gay Men's Lives. The book talks about kind of three generations of, of gay men, uh, those when the epidemic came about, uh, those right after that, and young men now, and the, the effects of all that on their uh, living. 
This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not just related to your physical well-being. It also means a healthier mind, confidence, improved health, stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your... Welcome to Talking with Tremaine, a health and fitness show featuring Tremaine and David Ellis. Together, this husband and wife co-host team will bring you the benefits of what can be your best life. It all depends on your mindset and understanding of what a fit and healthy lifestyle can truly be. Now, here is Tremaine and David. Hello, everyone, and happy pre-Fourth of July. (laughs) We want to, as always, welcome our faithful, loyal listeners. Thanks for tuning in with us this week. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, thank you. Continue to tune in each and every week. Our overseas listeners, thanks so much for hanging out with us week after week. Ireland, always much love. China, Germany, Sweden. We see you're listening in. Keep doing what you're doing. Now that we've got all that out of the way, <laughs> y'all like, who is this? For the new listeners, I am your host, 